Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Joining us on the panel today, Mark Watson, how are you, sir? Yeah, very well, thank you, Ricardo. And uh, Sam Ackerman as well, how's the Sackerman doing today? Yeah, doing all right, mate. Can't complain. No point in doing it because no one's going to listen. Exactly. 100%. 100%. Let's start with cricket, gentlemen. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get any today in Christchurch. I've had uh, somebody from Christchurch text and say it's an all-west wind and high cloud, so rain's unlikely, but all the forecasts I've read have said that it's raining from uh, about midday, so we will see. But uh, Tim Southey, a uh, bit of a topic of conversation. He's achieved so much for the Black Caps. 300 test wickets, 200 ODI wickets, 100 T20 wickets. The only player in the world to have done that and he was asked the other day about uh, following in the footsteps of Trent Bolt he kind of sidestepped the question but it feels inevitable to me Mark the changing face of uh, professional cricket or what do you think how long do you give it before we see Tim Southey follow Trent Bolt well it really comes down to what Tim Southey what legacy he wants to leave look he's played 88 test matches he's on 347 test wickets I'd like to see him go through and you know look to try and maybe target 400 test wickets. I think there's only 14 players in history have done that. Richard Hadley is our leading wicket taker at 431. Why not go after those records? You know, look, he's played a lot of T20 cricket in the IPL. I imagine that he's probably set himself up reasonably well financially. And I would imagine that if you're going to get out of your New Zealand cricket contract, it's probably because you want to go around the world and cash in, I would have thought, in the T20 format of the game. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm, for me personally, I'm about legacy. And I think, imagine that, you've heard of the legend of Richard Hadley. He probably didn't see a lot of Hadley, um, I'd imagine, being born in sort of the 1990s. And here you are, you've got a chance to maybe surpass him as our greatest ever wicket taker. If that is the case, his phone will ring for the rest of his life and he will end up making a very good living in the game. So um, I'd be disappointed if he goes, but then, you know, um, maybe the novelty of playing test cricket and playing for your country might might not be there these days. But yeah, I think he's in a really good position to chase history. So look, I hope he doesn't, but... Um, hey, you know, um, I'm not I'm not the guy that's been offered a million dollars a year, you know. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, and Sam, the ball is, as to use a ter- tennis term, formally uh, fa- fairly squarely in his court. What do you think? Uh, I think that that in all professional sports, that uh, long service receives uh, rewards or its own space. And coming out of a New Zealand contract, taking coming out one of the centralised contracts is a risk. I mean, who, who knows what that means for being selected for the future? Um, because they do need seem to be leaning towards prioritising. Tim Southey's earned his, his right to do what he likes. His legacy is going to be a strong one. As as what I says, there's definitely an opportunity to say, well, you know, I want to be the greatest in something and chasing the Hadley legacy. For me, it's, it's, it's a very silly argument I appreciate, but for my own personal stance, I don't want to see Tim Southey take over um, Sir Richard's 
record. And I say this with the greatest respect to Tim Southey. Sir Richard is Sir Richard. That legacy standing there, I think, standing strong is, a, is not saying I need to see overtaken uh, by somebody. But I, I view him as an incredible component of this New Zealand team. I also don't think that if we put all the players from the Hadley era into the modern era, what they would think of the opportunity to earn that money. Would, would they put, put legacy first the same way that the, the Hadley era players did? I, I don't know. I, I don't mind it. Um, uh, I think that there should be some scope sabbatical-wise that we've seen with the likes of the, the Dan Carters of the world previously, where you go, look, we're just going to give you this opportunity to do what you're comfortable with, but we know we can trust you to be there when the when the chips are down. Um, I'm, I'm good with it. I, I'm less of a traditionalist than Watto, but you know, you know, I'd say that uh, the people who wrote the games of the... Um, the laws of the game of cricket are less traditionalist than what I was. So you know, I'm, I'm okay with, with the, the jumping in between and the relinquishing of the contract. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Yeah, welcome back into the panel. Uh, Sam Ackerman and Mark Watson with us today. Gentlemen, uh, this morning Qatar lost 2-0 to the Dutch. Uh, means they go out of the World Cup at the group stage without a, a point to their name. Uh, the the worst host statistically uh, in World Cup history. Uh, Mark, do you think we'll see them make a World Cup again, or is this 12 years of billions of dollars spent uh, being such an effort that uh, that's them done and dusted? Yeah, fascinating one, isn't it? I mean, like you're the host nation, you get that right, as does, you know, as we're going to see next year when we host the Women's World Cup here. Look, it's interesting because you just look at what say Africa and the North African nations are starting to do at the World Cup and so if that region of the world uh, you know we've waited a long time haven't we for the continent of Africa and North Africa to make its move to say hey look we're on par with South America or we're on par here with Europe when it comes to football and we've seen a lot of the nations like Saudi Arabia uh, like Iran um, we've seen nations like Ghana and Senegal and these countries are actually starting to do quite well Morocco included so look if the standard within African football continues and they can uh, you know finally break through that ceiling there's no reason why in the future t- countries like Qatar can't get there because if you're playing those other sides regularly and those other sides are um, you know constantly improving then you are naturally going to improve but look, I think I think Qatar just the whole way they've won the, won, won the rights to host this World Cup, their whole issues on human rights. Um, oh, look, I think the footballing world would be quite happy if we don't see them again. Um, is that fair on the players? Probably not, but um, that's unfortunately what happens with politics and sports. So, um, yeah, let's just hope that next year when we've got our, uh, when we've got our, our uh, football fans playing that we're not sitting here having the same conversation that you know, we don't get ourselves out of pool play so you've got to be a little bit careful I guess in terms of um, getting too down on Qatar at the end of the day it's not the players fault No you're right there Sam what do you, uh, what's, what's your take on, on Qatar I mean uh, they've actually imported a lot of their squad I think out of their 26 man squad only 10 of them were born in Qatar they've, they've basically imported and naturalised players to, to put this team together starting from 12 years ago with their Aspire Academy do you think uh, given I mean they've got to come out of Asia where you've got the South Koreans the Japanese the Iranians the Saudis um, the Chinese the Australians as well of course uh, do you think we'll see them at a, at a World Cup in the future? Oh, well, first of all, I mean, if you look back to our uh, our first ever um, World Cup team, as far as imports and people not born in the country, I don't think we can throw too many stones. Um, you know, it's it's 
theirs is a lot more of a specific importing, knowing that they were going to host, absolutely. But I don't think that the Qatari ever saw this as the moment that their football team comes of age. This Purchasing this event was always about controlling uh, and trying to own some type of narrative to what their country is and how powerful they are, how wonderful they are, and you know, come, come do business with us, be part of us. It, 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 the result of the team was was not something that I think would have would been with bonus material, and they had the money to throw at the team. It's all good. It's, it's, it's the opportunity for the Qatar team to play in the World Cup, to feature in the World Cup, and we know this as New Zealanders being part of a World Cup. Sure, you know you don't want to go out and uh, in straight sets and and lose all your games, and you know, that's that's not the reason you aspire to be there. But this is the best chance Qatar had of making the World Cup. Who's to say they can't buy their way into another one in the future? So I'm not, gonna, I won't, I won't, I won't rule out seeing Qatar uh, back in there. But this event was never about Qatar for Qatar. This was never about uh, Qatar reaching some kind of high level of football. Not not what it's there for. All right, uh, let's talk All Blacks then. Uh, there's been a couple of really interesting articles written in the last day or two. One by Mark Reeson suggesting that New Zealand rugby, the way they're dealing with Scott Robertson, want him to coach England. Uh, and another one from Paul Cully saying, look, you know, New Zealand rugby needs to learn the lessons from the last World Cup and get our coach from 2023 onwards sorted now and announced now rather than waiting till the World Cup to be done because all the uh, other candidates will be off the board. Uh, Mark, what do you make of that? that? That sounds sensible and reasonable to me, so there's no way New Zealand rugby will do it. No, 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 no. They don't have the intellect to do it. Um, we saw, we didn't, we saw with when Steve Hansen decided that he was going to step down after the World Cup, and we left that so late. They tried to make out that they'd done serious due diligence, that they'd looked at candidates around the world. But I think everybody quietly knew that it was always going to be Ian Foster. So many of those other coaches that were in the background had already, by the time they'd sort of decided to go through the recruitment process, had already committed to jobs elsewhere overseas, the likes of Jamie Joseph, um, the likes of um, Tony Brown and um, Joe Schmidt, etc. And the whole thing ended up becoming a little bit of a farce. And look, so I, I, I'm in belief of this. I mean, I think they should give Scott Robertson the nod and say, look, you are our guy beyond the next World Cup, whether we win it or lose it. And let's be honest, I think the odds are very much in favour of us, I reckon, of getting out of the quarterfinal situation based on what we've seen. Um, allow these guys to plan. Um, it also means that, you know, Ian Foster says, well, look, OK, I've got limited time here. How am I going to be remembered? What is my legacy? I need to get this right or I'm going to go down as one of the worst coaches in all black history. I don't want to be that. Uh, but, I, I, you know, we, we can't keep giving our intellectual property away overseas. We seem so dead set on trying to keep marquee All Blacks here who have played 60 or 70 odd tests because we need their experience but we're more than happy just to let all of our intellectual property disappear overseas and I'll argue that that is a far greater detriment to New Zealand rugby in the long term than losing one or two players so let's stop wasting money trying to spend a whole lot of money on keeping All Blacks here who don't really want to be here unless you paid a lot of money and let's just spend more time more money and more resource on keeping our coaches. And part of that model is making sure there is a pathway through to being the top all-black coach. Yeah, well said, Mark. Uh, Sam, do you think New Zealand rugby will learn from the mistakes of 2019? Slight difference was there was the uh, announcement that we saw from um, Steve Hansen that he will not be pursuing it going forward. Now, what if Steve Hansen had wanted to be the coach for the next year? What would happen then? Would they have said, yep, we're going to lock you in, guarantee you ahead of time? Quite possibly, but... 
even even that, does that become a, an issue? Well, he's had enough time. Do we need to start talking about who goes in that position? I think, look, if you're running a book on who on the odds of, of Ian Foster holding the All Blacks job next year, they couldn't be slimmer, uh, post next year, I should say, after the World Cup. But to announce that he's not going to be without, you know, and we're going to put this person in next, what does that do to this campaign? Now, what, you know, Mark's right about the, uh, we're not looking like in the greatest shape here, but to completely... You know, under <laughs> undercuts the entire uh, campaign before it starts. I, I cannot see it happening. I don't think it will. Um, but they should certainly be being a whole lot more proactive than they were in 2019, and as they have been in the past year and a half as well, as far as proactivity. Now, if they have an identified candidate, or if they're going to go through an open process, that's fine. They need to come out and, and be very clear to people who have been in communication, like the Scott Robertsons, the Jamie Josephs of the world, saying, we would like you to be in contention for this job. The job will be available um, for recruitment, no matter what. They can say it's a contested process at, at all stage, absolutely. But um, I don't know. I, I think you absolutely curse this campaign to uh, a point that I think is almost criminal management. Uh, you, you can't pull someone's legs out from before they even get a chance to do the job. Right. Okay. A couple of different takes there. Uh, finally, gentlemen, NRL, uh, and we'll start with you on this one, Sam, as the Seagulls CEO, Tony uh, Mestrov, as, as he going to distance the club from any further pride round decisions. He's basically put it on the NRL and said, look, if we're going to do a pride jersey, it needs to be centralised, needs to come from the NRL. That makes sense to me because Manly did cop a lot of flack and it evidently cost them uh, a place in the finals, I think, last year with the way that they, they went about the process. Absolutely, but um, that's, I wish you had a time machine. You could go back six months and uh, have that discussion with the NRL then rather than go off on their own. Now, listen, yeah, I, I'm fine for any club to want to make those decisions, but this is uh, this is kind of a little bit retrospective from um, Tony Mestroff to say it should be an NRL decision because they didn't make so uh, forward. They're the one that made this problem. The club's uh, communication with their sponsors, with their players, with their coaches, with the NRL is what caused this issue. So, yeah. Pride round, if there is going to be a pride round rather than the club making a designated jersey decision, absolutely. Of course, the NRL should be um, should be driving that. But Manly are trying to um, wipe their hands of this. I've just put in Anthony Seabold as coach, so it shows the level of decision-making they're making at the moment is pretty questionable. So I, I don't know. They're, they're a club uh, who are suffering from <laughs> rugby syndrome and just kind of shooting themselves in the foot a little bit too much uh, at the moment. I, I think that decision should come from NRL. That said, it's very rich of, of Manly now to throw uh, the ball back at, in, at, at, at NRL and make them make that decision. Yeah, uh, Mark, where are you on this one, mate? Yeah, look, I, I, I've got to be honest. I'm a little over sort of just the politicising of sport at the moment. I've sort of had a, you know, I, I got a little bit fed up with some of it around the Women's Rugby World Cup. I've sort of over the whole Qatar thing now. I just want to get on and enjoy the football and. I'm not sure why we need to politicise everything. Look, I think everybody within the NRL, I think everybody within community, I think is very sort of pro and understanding of the, um, you know, the um, LBGT um, part of society. And I think people are a lot more open on it. Uh, Do we need to keep promoting it? Uh, you know, and where does and in what other causes do we start promoting? Do we have a, a every week? Do we have a different round for a different group of society 
Um, oh, look, I think Manly last year did it with the best intentions, and I actually admired them for doing it. I find those players who were anti it, I find it all a little bit hypocritical. I hope none of them play in the Indigenous round because I would find that complete another hypocrisy, to be perfectly honest. Mm. Um, but yeah, look, I think it's just time now. Let's just sort of take the politics out of sport. Let's just get on with it and let's just enjoy it. And um, yeah, I, I, I think there are other ways. You know, look, give the NRL a rainbow tick, you know, have that alongside of as a sub-brand um, on their lead ahead and, and do all of these other things. But I, I think everybody gets it now. Um, you know, some of the players uh, probably need just a little bit more education. It's easy to hide behind religion. But look, if it's just going to if it's just going to detract from the game, if it's just going to create a whole lot of controversy, I'd rather just not have it. Yeah, no, fair, fair. Gentlemen, thanks very much for joining us on the panel today. Sam, go well, mate. Thank you, mate. Good Cheers. to talk to you, Mark. And uh, Watto, a uh, text for you that has come through. Uh, from Maggie saying, tell Mark Watson he commentated the baseball brilliantly. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Loving it, loving it. And I expect to see you and um, uh, Logan and a few boys coming along watching it too because it's, 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 I will say this, it's, it's, even if you're not a baseball fan, I think it's a really, really good novelty. So um, try and get along just something different if you're looking for some sports entertainment. Next series is Friday week against Melbourne. Yeah, yeah perfect. Beers and hot dogs in the stands. Can't get any better than that. Watto, thanks very much for your time, bud. Go well. No worries. Thanks, Cheers. Mate.